0: happy monday everyone and welcome back to the podcast i'm so thankful that you are subscribing and listening to this content it is very therapeutic for me to get to have these conversations with a lot of great friends preachers teachers etc And so I'm just so thankful that week after week I get to do this work. It really is just an amazing opportunity. And the icing on the cake this week is that I'm still interviewing my dad, Doug Edwards, a preacher of the gospel for longer than I've been alive, and my hero, and just a wonderful, wonderful person. So I couldn't say enough about him. If you didn't hear it in the last introduction, I'm just going to say it again. I'm probably really biased, but he is without a doubt one of my favorite preachers to listen to and to talk to about biblical things. We've been talking about a conversation called Things God Hates. And with that in mind, uh, there are a list of several things that God does not like for us as Christians to be involved in, and typically they're issues of the heart. Now, we went over some of them last week, and we're going to continue the conversation and finish it out with the seven things that God hates. Let's jump right back in, shall we? The fourth one being a heart that devises wicked plans. You know, when I hear that, I think about some villain dressed in all black, you know, waiting to do some sort of mysterious, awful thing. But a lot of times I have to look at myself. How can I devise wicked things? That's the purpose of this is for me to to reflect on, on myself. So what uh, Bible... Example, do you have to share, and then uh, how can I, you know, apply it personally?
1: Okay. After the death of Abel, you remember that that God cursed Cain and made him a vagabond in the land. Adam and Eve had another child by the name of Seth. Over the years, these two sons became the representative heads of all mankind. The descendants of Cain were evil, and didn't follow the Lord. The descendants of Seth followed the ways of the Lord. But after a period of time, even that began to change. The Bible says that the descendants of Seth began to marry the descendants of Cain and they lost their spirituality. They became evil. What had started off as good became bad. And it was so bad that it seems the whole world had gone into sin. In Genesis 6, verse 5, the Bible says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, Sadly, there were only eight righteous people in the world. The rest of the world was characterized by this verse as practicing only evil continually, or the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. So God sent a flood and destroyed the old world and all the wicked. He was left with the righteous people to start off with. But even then, the wicked heart soon returned back again and, mm-hmm. and in genesis 11 verse 4 you have the story of the the building of the tower of babel yeah remember that what the story really teaches is that man had elevated himself and the idea was look what we can do and in taking this path man was simply repeating the mistakes of the people before the flood every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually mm-hmm. Now, what that tells us is that the heart has to be guarded very carefully. You have to guard your heart as to what gets in there. In Proverbs 4 and verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. What you allow in your heart is eventually going to control and lead you down the paths of life. There's a passage in Proverbs 23, verse 7, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you allow in your heart and you think about that generally turns into what you do, what you become, what you say and how you act.
0: I like what Romans chapter 12, verse one and two says about not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, you know, the mind and the heart are often synonyms for talking about the inner man. Um, And so to guard my heart, to renew my mind requires that that active spiritual formation and not just I like to think about it like this. Um I read it in a book a long time ago somewhere and I can't remember what book it was in. But uh spiritual formation and guarding one's heart. It's not about isolation, it's about insulation. And they use the reason that I was thinking about it is you mentioned Noah's family being righteous And they were the only ones that survived the flood. And so, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, man, if we could just get away from the world, we have it all figured out. You know, if we could go start some commune somewhere, which that should raise some red flags, (laughs) Mm -hmm. starting communes out in Mm -hmm. the middle of nowhere. But anyway, if we could get away from the world and just have a little community where we could be by ourselves, and then we'd never have problems with sin. But Adam and his or Noah and his family were alone. There was no one else to cause sin and yet they still because of the wicked desires of the heart Mm -hmm. ended up struggling with sin so the purpose of this the little anecdote is that isolation in and of itself won't keep you from sinning. it's about insulation guarding properly preparing one's inner man so that when sin does try to get in you're able to deflect it and keep it out and it comes through active spiritual formation
1: that involves the idea that that we're in the world but not of the world. Right. Exactly. You know, you know, it's like a ship. You know, you want a ship in the water, but you don't want water in the ship. <laughs> that could be right. problems. And same way, we live in the world. We have to interact with the world. Mm-hmm. We're here to save the world. Yeah. But we can't let the world enter into our lives. Right. That's a the the balance. I feel like I've well but- that passage that you referred to Romans twelve and verse two about not being conformed to the world, is an interesting idea because that word conform means to shape or to mold like plastic. Yeah, And, you know, you can take plastic or you can take clay or something like that or whatever, and you can shape it and mold it into whatever image you want. Mm-hmm. Little children love to play with clay. Yeah, You know, as adults, we do too. We shape and make things out of clay because you can shape it the way you want it. And the Bible is saying, be careful because the world can do that to you. Mm-hmm. It can take you and mm-hmm. shape you and mold you in its image. But to keep from doing that, we have to be renewed. We have to be transformed, yeah. not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds.
0: Well, then how would I, um, you know, I don't think of myself as a wicked person. But how would I uh, devise wicked plans in a modern day setting you know, not not in Noah's day not in Babel's day but how would I be guilty of this as a, a Christian whatever you
1: allow in your heart will eventually control and lead you down that path when mm-hmm. when you allow the mind or the heart to dwell on evil then you're going to find yourself gravitating toward wicked plans an unguarded heart leads to spiritual disaster when you constantly feed your heart humanistic ideas, mm-hmm. things of the world, then it should come as no surprise to you that later on you find yourself loving the world. And in fact, you find yourself making plans to enjoy some of these things of the world.
0: Let me share this with you. It's confession time from son to father.
1: Confession is good to the soul, <laughs> for the
0: soul. Um, so when we grew up, you didn't allow us to watch rated R movies, right? That was sure. kind of a, just a family rule. And even if it had a good storyline, you know, we didn't justify a good storyline if it was rated R. That was just kind of our standard. Well, I can remember when I turned 18 and I was old enough to go see a movie without, with my ID. You know, I didn't have to have an adult with me. I went and saw a rated R movie because, uh, you know, I was an idiot. That's that's why. Anyway, it's been 16 years since that. And you know what family rule we have now? We don't watch rated R movies. <laughs> You know, it kind of come full circle because, you know, shame on me that I would do that. But once we had kids of our own, we saw the way that we can be molded by certain things. And if we don't have standards for things that we consider even morally neutral stuff, such as television. Well, a lot of it's not morally neutral anyway, but we have to have a standard somewhere. And uh, anyway, just... For my family's sake, it's come back around to that same standard you had for us.
1: It's an interesting fact that a lot of times as we grow older, we come back to the way that we were brought up. We we jokingly say, we look into the mirror and say, Oh no, I see my dad, or I see my mom now when I look <laughs> in the mirror. But you you find a lot of times that the way that you were brought up, maybe when you are 18, 21, maybe you rebel against it a little bit, but especially when you have a family you find yourself coming back to those standards that you yeah. were brought up with and yeah. you realize they were right all
0: along. Well, I get compared to you a lot when I preach, they say, Oh, you'd remind me just, of, just like your dad when he preaches. And when I was 18, I would think, no, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the worst thing ever. But it's the biggest compliment that I receive now is when somebody says that, uh, in fact, when I was in Denver last month, somebody called me Doug. They were well, Doug. Thanks for coming to our meeting, and I, I didn't correct them. I said, "Well, thank you." You know, I think their their spouse said, "That's that's his son, Jonathan." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is not the uh, lift up Doug hour, but I'm uh-huh. I'm thankful for the standard that you set. Well, so. Um, devising wicked plans, being molded by the world. So I, I see what you're talking about, that God hates these things because it's taking me away from all of the good blessings that he has in store for me whenever I obey his will. But whenever I move away from him and my heart is being influenced, then it, it's natural for me to go down that path.
1: Let me just say this in summary on okay. this, this one point. God hates the human heart that focuses on the world that delights in the pleasures that the world can bring. God hates the human heart that rebels and that disobeys, that devises wicked plans. So the thought is, be careful what you allow in your heart. Yeah. Because it will affect you.
0: Let me review for our listeners, because this is probably going to be split up across two episodes. So, you know, if they listen to the first half one week and then they come back the next week, uh, maybe they haven't heard them in a bit. So I'm going to go back and just uh, talk about the six things that God hates. We've talked about a proud look. We've talked about a lying tongue. Uh, let's see, hands that shed innocent blood. And we've just wrapped up talking about a heart that devises wicked plans. And so we've got two more left and the fifth one being feet that are swift into running evil. We say, oh, there's three left. Yeah. Or there are seven.
1: six things God hates, A yeah, seven, or an abomination.
0: Oh, here you are <laughs> flexing your superior Bible knowledge no, to no, me I don't know about once that. again. I remember when I was a kid one time, I challenged you to a Bible trivia game and I haven't challenged you to one <laughs> since because of the outcome of that. So tell me about this fifth one, feet that are swift and running evil.
1: Okay, the Bible says one of the things that God hates will be feet that are swift and running to evil. The main idea seems to be to desire to to quickly to do evil to rush into to wrongdoing person who has an opportunity to do right but rather chooses to do wrong and in fact sort of hurries into doing wrong you know we live in an age of instant gratification we have instant food Mm -hmm. fast food restaurants instant coffee or instant tea instant delivery right instant photos instant communications and business has learned at the same time that the quicker that it can deliver to their custom, uh, customers, the greater its profit's going to be. Well, some use this instant gratification for the accomplishment of sin. Mm. You know, if it feels good, I'm going to do it right now. Yeah, I'm going to rush to do it. Proverbs 1.16 says, For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Isaiah 59, verse 7 says, Their feet run to evil. It's very similar to the other verse. And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Just one more verse, Micah 2, verse 1. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil in their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in their power of their hand. It's like they they spend their time in bed making their plans for the evil. And as soon as the sun comes up, they jump right out and go out and accomplish this evil plan that they've had.
0: It's hard for me to relate to that, I guess, because whenever we devote ourselves to the Lord, you know, it's hard to relate to the idea of wanting to wake up and immediately run towards evil. But this is not the only way that we can look at that verse of feet that are swift at running to evil. You have some thoughts on a little bit of a different direction to look at it, right?
1: Yeah. There's another thought to this verse. It pictures someone who is eager to to put something over on someone, okay. to, to get by with something, to, to get by with something by trickery or deceit, to okay. quickly deceive someone. Proverbs 10 and 23 says to do evil is like a sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, Psalm 7 verse 16, his trouble shall return upon his own head and his violence shall come down on his own crown. Uh, there's a little story I'd like to tell here that I think helps to to see how people oftentimes are quick to want to get even, yeah. quick to to want to pull the wool over somebody's eyes or deceive them. Years ago, there was a young boy and his friends that, that uh, got mad at a farmer one time because the farmer wouldn't let them cut across the field for a shortcut. You know, they'd climb over his fence. And they'd go trampling down his crops. Yeah. And so the farmer caught him. And made them quit doing it. It made one of these boys so angry that he decided he's going to show that farmer. So he slipped onto the farmer's field at night and spread Johnson grass seed all <laughs> over the field. Now, <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about Johnson grass. but people that do tell me that Johnson grass spreads quickly, rapidly, and it's practically impossible to get rid of. And so this boy showed the farmer, I'll show you, I'm going <laughs> to sow this field full of Johnson grass. Yeah. Well, the boy grew up and actually married the farmer's daughter and when the farm uh, the father died he willed that farm to his (laughs) son-in-law and his daughter and so he now would spend the rest of his life fighting this johnson grass (laughs) that was in his field that he had actually sowed
0: Mm. well i wonder what he told his his children whenever they you know (laughs) try to get them to not do the same thing (laughs) I, i chuckle whenever i hear that story um let's see well that's just
1: the idea of swift defeat being swift to run to evil not
0: thinking things through
1: yeah it's just that people just jump into doing wrong sometimes without thinking about the consequences yeah people don't think about their behavior their actions they don't realize there are consequences to your actions it's just i want to satisfy whatever this problem is right now i want to gratify myself i want to I want to win this particular battle against this person right now. Yeah. And show him who's boss.
0: You know, we've already mentioned this previously this observation that uh some of the other things that God hates these other attributes kind of are woven in with one another. And he, again, I'm thinking about a proud look and how pride mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. I can't get over the fact that you have this or you've done that, so I have got to prove that I am better than you by swiftly running into evil to run you down or to, you know, whatever it might be. But it uh, seems like pride has a big hand in a lot of these things, doesn't mm-hmm. it?
1: Pride is sort of the foundation of all of these problems here. When you think about all these things that God hates, they seem to, in a sense, be built upon
0: pride. They come about because of pride. In the one of the workbooks that I've wrote, um, the Redemption series, I try to make a point um, about in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to talk about this in the next sermon where you talk about free will, um, the one on sour grapes. So for listeners, come back to that one later. <laughs> um, anyway, in the Garden of Eden, when God gives them the gift of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for so many years I scratched my head thinking, why in the world did they give them that? Why, you know, why not just give them the tree of life and call it good? But, you know, that gift of choice is so special because we have a free will ability to, to love God and to be with him. But what is the choice exactly? The choice is to deny self and accept God's ways or deny God and accept my ways. Mm-hmm. And at the heart of that is pride. Mm-hmm. The heart of that is I don't want your gifts I will choose for myself what is good in this world, so yeah, pride's at the the heart of the fall of man.
1: The greatest danger man has is self. Mm. He has to fight against self near every day. We have to control self.
0: Self leads us away from God. You should write little calendars with daily thoughts. <laughs> the danger the most dangerous thing we have is self, a good daily thought. Uh, tell me about number six. A false witness that speaks lies. Okay.
1: Now, at first, it sounds somewhat similar to the one previously yeah. of, of lying. Yeah. But there's a little bit of difference. You know, a common practice among many parents is to name their children with biblical names. We named our boys David and Jonathan based upon, the you know, the the great friends in the Old Testament. Others have named their children Elizabeth or... Ruth or Rebecca or Mary or names like that, but have you ever heard of anyone naming their daughter <laughs> Jezebel? Nope. No, no Jezebel. No
0: Delilah. Nothing. Except not for Delilah after dark. Now,
1: <laughs> based on Jezebel's life, she she becomes the epitome of that's evil. Yeah. I mean, just the name itself, Jezebel. Yeah. Automatically conjures in our mind this wicked, evil person. Well, she met a a terrible death, terrible death. She was in the city of Jezreel just after her, her son had been killed by Jehu. And Jehu was coming into town, and she's up in a tower. Yeah. And she looks out the window, and she says to him, had Zimri peace who slew his master. Now, Zimri was an earlier king of Israel who killed Elah, and he, in fact, died seven days after he became king. He only mm-hmm. lasted seven days right. before he himself died. And so she was asking that of Jehu. Well, Jehu looks up and says, you know, up there, up in that tower, who's up there is on our side. Who's for us? The Bible says that two or three eunuchs looked at and he said, throw her down. So they grabbed Jezebel and they threw her down to the ground. Now, evidently she hit the wall on hmm. the way down and splattered you know (laughs) you know it's a it's a gruesome story yeah but it gets even more gruesome because he he rides over her he doesn't even go around her he just rides his chariot right over there right over goes inside and sits down and says i'm hungry let's eat while he's eating he also (laughs) oh i just ran over jezebel and she is after all a, a king's daughter so he says go out and get jezebel and bury her. And his servants go out and they come back and they discover and tell him that all they found of her was her skull mm. and her hands and her feet because the dogs had eaten her. Yeah. It's had, the scavengers had come. Now, why? Why? What had this woman done that, that was so evil? Well, it goes back a little bit before this. There was a vineyard near her husband's palace owned by a man by the name of Naboth. Ahab, the king, Jezebel's husband, wanted it, but Naboth would not part with it because it was an inheritance. It was important for Jewish folks to keep their inheritance. It was right. handed down from generation to generation. Right. So Naboth wouldn't part with it. Even though Ahab came back with a generous offer, he said no. So Ahab went home and pouted like a big <laughs> baby. He just goes and plops down on his bed and turns to the wall. <laughs> And Jezebel comes in and says, what's the problem? He tells her, she says, you get up and fix yourself. I'll take care of it. So she has false, two false witnesses Mm -hmm. say Naboth blasphemed the king and God and had him killed. Mm. And so Ahab then got his vineyard. I want you to notice that the Bible says she used false witnesses who spoke lies. Yeah. That's what's being condemned. You know, here in this sixth example of something God hates, God hates a false witness that speaks lies, just like Jezebel was a false witness that speaks lies. She was just as guilty as the ones who spoke the lies. Sometimes, you know, we may say, well, I didn't say it. I didn't do it. Oh, okay. But you were a witness to it and you approved of it as well. And you you can be just as guilty of something when you approve of it. As if you actually performed it. So she was as guilty as, as they were. She was a false witness in this as well. And so this was something
0: that, that God hates. When you talk about false witness, I guess there's a, you have both the, the sin of lying. There's the telling of the wrong thing. But then you also talk about how uh, you're not defending the innocent. Right. When when you bear false witness, there's somebody that needs true witness to be stated. And you're doing the opposite of that. And Israel got in trouble in the Old Testament several times for not caring for the weak and for not administering justice properly in the land. Maybe, I guess, share a thought about that. Just uh, the need to be honest and truthful and, and so that you can protect those who can't protect themselves.
1: Yeah. Well, I would say on this that the admonition against lying in verse 17 is a general warning. In this passage, a false witness speaks lies. It's refers to a more specific type of lying. Like we expect witnesses to tell the truth. Yeah. In telling the truth, it's it's critical in a trial. It's critical for the innocence or the guilt of the accused that that witness tells the truth. But this warning is against the false witness. Who turns right around and lies. A false witness injures the innocent mm-hmm. and protects the guilty. Mm-hmm. And God hates that practice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He uses, uh, in another proverb, the concept of the Lord hates dishonest scales. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, this is, I think, one of the big reasons why people are upset about the justice of God. They say sometimes it's not fair, but really, it's the fairest kind of justice around they're not they're just not used to it because so Mm -hmm. often we are unjust Mm -hmm. and we want to you know let our friends off the hook Mm -hmm. so to speak
1: that's a statement people have made against god for a long time is you're not fair and when we study the passage in ezekiel 18 you know a plug for our next one that we that's right that that very statement's going to be made by God to Israel. You're not being fair yeah. in this situation. The problem with that is we're trying to bring God down to our standard. Right. And we're not trying to see the world through
0: God's standard. Right. Right. Well, here we are on the last one. Right. So we've gone through six things that God hates. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. So let's talk about the one who sows discord among brethren. Okay. This
1: is the individual who sows the seed of division among his own brethren now god wants his people to be united Mm -hmm. in psalms 133 verse 1 behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity jesus in john chapter 17 and verse 20 and 21 prayed that all believers would be one just as he and god were one now the world of the first century was uh, a world of confusion and racism and division you know we think we have a problem today in our world with confusion and racism and division, but they did back then as well. Right. The Greeks thought they were intellectually and culturally superior to everyone else. And mm-hmm. Everyone who wasn't a Greek or didn't subscribe to their ideology, that they, they were barbarians. Mm-hmm. The Romans thought they were stronger than anyone else. And these others, uh, they were weaklings and they deserved to be conquered. Right. And the Jews thought that they were religiously superior to everyone else. And considered everyone else to be a Gentile or to be, in a sense, like a dog. Yeah. Well, Jesus came with a message of hope that stressed unity. And again, he prayed that all of his believers would be one in Genesis seven, uh, John 17. In Galatians 3.28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What a world-changing message that was—that all people could be one. You know that—that was—that uh, was a completely new message. Yeah. You know, uh, a life-changing, earth-shattering message mm-hmm. that all people could be one. Likewise, the same thing is true today. We're, we're all equal in the church. This was a, a message of hope in a world that was dominated by hatred and racism. These are words. These words are shimmers of light in a world that's just languishing in darkness and all. Let me give you an example. Okay. Of how, how a brother can, can sow seeds of discord. It's not, it's not a popular one. It's not one that we necessarily like to think about, but it's possible that we can, and we certainly don't want to do it, but this involves Peter. Now, Peter made a drastic mistake on the night that jesus was betrayed he denied the lord three times right and what a terrible thing right and he suffered for it he went out and wept bitterly the bible says he was miserable for it but something changed with peter on pentecost day like a lion peter with boldness preached the gospel mm-hmm. you know the thousands mm-hmm. and peter became a, a great worker for the church and worked uh, did great things for the church but even peter had a problem. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter two, in beginning in verse eleven, Paul said, "Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I was stood him face to face because he was to be blamed. For before, before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. When they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy." Well, Peter was guilty of practicing something here that we've learned from God that he hates. Yeah. He hates those who sow discord among brethren. And unfortunately, Peter was doing that. Fortunately, Paul confronted him over it and basically preached to him and just said, Peter, you're not doing right. You've drifted. You've allowed others to influence you. And Peter would repent of this and would uh, be sorry, no doubt for what he'd done and change his, way as well, and the other brethren would would uh, do the same thing. Peter's refusal to eat with the Gentiles was just returning back to business as usual as far as the world is concerned. It's going back right. to prejudice and division. It's a slap in the face to Christ's plea for unity. It's an example of something that God hates. God hates those who sow discord among the brethren.
0: Let me ask you this question. Um, what about somebody that's saying that they need to maybe get rid of those who are uh, bringing in false teaching or, oh, I don't want to make it seem that drastic, but what if somebody is dividing or trying to be divisive, but in their mind they are using the dividing sword of Jesus? You Mm -hmm. know, how do do we distinguish between the dividing sword that Jesus said, you know, a father-in-law will be against, or a father will be against a child and a husband against his wife, et cetera. I didn't come to bring peace, but the sword. And one person says, you're being divisive. And the other says, no, I'm I'm simply trying to be pure like Christ is. How can we know the difference? That's a good
1: question. And it's not really easy necessarily to answer because we've seen things like this happen for a long time in the church. Some think they're doing the Lord's will and being very dogmatic about it and others taking a different direction. Yeah uh it would take I think patience on the part of both both have to want to desire to love the truth in the situation and seek for the truth and it would take times of uh, setting down together yeah and maybe trying to hash these things out and come up to a biblical conclusion
0: in these these efforts but
1: it's that's that's a difficult question, Jonathan that's hard to answer
0: if I could just add a comment related to the the seven things that God hates, you know, that first one being a proud look. So the opposite one has to be a humble look, right? So you, if you have two people that aren't seeing eye to eye and one, is, one thinks one is being divisive, the other thinks they're simply being a, uh, a standard bearer for the truth, if both are humble about it, there should be unity mm-hmm. that's achievable. But if both have a proud look, yeah. that seems to be a recipe for disaster um what does it say in james 1 verse 19 is it in verse 19 being slow to speak but swift to hear I, I thought about that in relation to those who are swift to run towards evil but what we're called to be slow to speak but swift to hear so mm. maybe there's a connection there for people who are interested in seeking unity is to be yeah. swift to well
1: hear. we unfortunately most of the time we don't want to be swift to hear we want to be (laughs) swift to speak right and all in fact sometimes when you sit down and visit with someone that you're not agreeing with and discussions being made we may find ourselves not even listening to what they're saying because we're already formulating in our minds our response yeah and all we're already putting our words together to to answer this person and show them wrong without stopping to listen to what they have to say and then Mm. Bring up the things that you believe they're wrong in. Mm-hmm. So being swift to hear is, is good spiritual advice in problems such as what we're talking about here.
0: That's right. Well, let me read uh, a verse you have in your notes. It's Romans 6, verse 17. And it says, uh, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And uh, so in your your notes, you kind of pivot away, um, or not pivot away, but you you bring up the additional point. It's not only teachers who can be divisive, but any member can be divisive. And I thought maybe you might want to comment on that for a moment on... So if I was listening to this podcast for example and I thought, well, I'm not a, I'm not a teacher, I don't have to worry. I'm not mm-hmm. a preacher, I don't have to worry about being divisive. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the rest of us?
1: Yeah. Well, sowing discord among brethren is is applicable to to all Christians and all God's people, not not just being a false teacher like mm-hmm. you say sometimes. you think well, I'm not up there in the pulpit teaching these things. I'm not teaching these things on the radio or or television or or through the mass media and all. I'm not a mass media person, all, but a Christian can go behind the scenes and be the kind of person that plants confusion and, and division among the brethren, even yeah. though he or she is not a pulpit speaker. Of course, yeah. you know, she can't be a pulpit speaker based on scripture. When brethren, for example, privately degrade the church to others, you know, You you get around people sometimes that are private in a private capacity. And when they talk about the church, it's always in a negative way. Yep. What's wrong with the church? What's bad with the church? Well, that's an individual causing division Mm -hmm. when brethren mistreat and sometimes even bully others in the church. You know, when some brethren try to throw their weight around in a congregation, that's causing division when we weaken the faith of others. When we cause other people to mistrust other Christians. Even when we form little cliques in the church. And sometimes exclude others from it. We're sowing discord among brethren. So that sowing discord goes far beyond just standing in a pulpit and preaching false doctrine. Mm-hmm. It also happens through our actions. Through our attitudes. Through our behaviors with others as well. When we belittle those who are trying to be Faithful. When we show no mercy or compassion to those who are weak, we're sowing discord among the brethren. And to throw this in, sisters can be guilty of this as well. In a private capacity, sowing discord among brethren as well. And remember that God hates the sin of those who sow discord.
0: Yeah. Back on the... I, I keep bringing it back up. I feel like there's just a, something that can be woven in from this in almost every point you've made But um, On a proud look... You stated with pride, we tend to overestimate self and look down on others. And that kind of lines up very specifically with uh, sowing discord is looking down on others. Instead of edifying and building them up, we're trying to tear others down. What's at the heart of it? Typically, it's you've got a better way or know of a better way than they do. And so Mm -hmm. you have to do everything you can to tear them down while building yourself up. Well, Dad, I wonder, uh, as we come to the end of this study of these seven things, do you have some final thoughts maybe to to wrap it all up together?
1: I think it's very interesting that there are seven things. There are six things the Lord hates, a seven or abomination, because of the fact that it's seven. It's Mm. an interesting choice of seven. Because seven is oftentimes symbolic of something that's complete. Right. Here it seems to indicate the thoroughness, the intensity, and the the completeness of those practices that God hates. And just as we saw that God loves some things yeah. and we want to love them too. We also learned that God hates some things and we, we need to hate those things as well. Let's not get this mixed up and hate that which God loves and love that which God hates.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming in today and uh, spending this time with me talking about it. I have had a great time and, God bless you in your continued work. Well, appreciate Jonathan. Appreciate all you do for the Lord, for his people, for his cause, and for your family. That was such a great conversation. Thank you, Dad, for coming on. And I'm looking forward to the next time that you get to join me. And I'll give a secret spoiler to everyone who's listening that he is going to be back on. In fact, we've already recorded the next conversation. But I'm not going to release it because I want to save that honor for the 100th episode. It's coming up in March 2020, so if you follow these week by week, it's going to be about a a month and a half away before we get to the 100th episode, but I wanted to give that distinction to Dad, and so the conversation that we'll have together next time uh, will be available then. It's going to be a good one, too. I've already edited it, and I really loved listening to it a second time as much as I did getting to have the conversation with him. Now, I want to ask a special favor of you. If you are familiar with social media, you know that likes and following and all of that stuff matters. Whenever a group or a person has a lot of likes and a lot of followers, then it's more likely that they're to be recommended based just on the the algorithms that the programs on the computer use to suggest things to people. This week specifically, I was wondering if you would go on and like or subscribe or follow, I can't remember what the word is, On YouTube. I am really close to getting a thousand followers on YouTube. And I make videos that I put up uh, maybe every other week or so on YouTube, and I'm trying to grow that channel. And so it'd be really helpful if I had over a thousand followers on YouTube. Why? Because of their algorithms. So if you have the YouTube app on your phone, or if you have a Gmail account, or whatever, if you have the ability to subscribe, on YouTube. Would you go over there and subscribe to the Pure and Simple Bible channel? It's uh, four separate words, Pure and Simple Bible. You'll see the little icon that I typically have with my channel uh, on the different platforms that's there, but if you can subscribe to it, I would be very grateful. Thank you very much. And you can always go to the website to find all the content that I have available. That's www.pureandsimplebible.com, all one word, at the website. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.